Hello and welcome back to the Talk Norwich City podcast for episode number 85. We're closing in on 100 and we will get there eventually. To the left of me is, I'm going to call you a maverick. Are you happy ooh, with that? Ooh, maverick. Have you called okay, a maverick yeah. before? He was in Top Gun. He know, was. So, right, I'll take any <laughs> Top Gun reference, you know. Dave Carolan, nice to see you, my nice friend. How are you? Nice I'm Dave. very good. Tom I'm man. very good. Relaxed. Yeah, good. Having well, that... spent a little bit of time away from this mad football world. Well, that's good. Um, you were at Car Road at the weekend. I love, most guests usually turn up with a bottle of champagne or a bottle of wine. It's fine that you didn't bring that. Yeah. You bought it's, a notebook. It's so not fine. I'll bring my notebook, yeah. yeah I'm <laughs> I always that. making notes. Yeah. yeah. Where's Who the did you bring though? champagne for? Galton brought champagne. Galton Blackiston. Have you been to Morrison Hall? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I turned up at Morrison Hall. We had a, um, the year we got, um, we got promoted, we had a- Was it a promotion a, party? It wasn't a promotion party. No, Ooh. it was a staff get together, and Galton uh, hosted us at Morrison Hall. Yeah, and uh, we all had to submit our, you know, diary choices, diary choices, uh, dietary choices. <laughs> yeah. before we went, and um, I forgot to include my wife, and she's vegetarian. Ooh. So we turn up at Morrison Hall, and we all have the aperitif uh, beforehand, and um, Galton brings out the food, and I haven't ordered anything for my wife, but he made a risotto for my wife oh, in like wow. about five wow. minutes. Good man, seriously. Galton, top man. Unbelievable guy. Yeah. It's a good night, isn't it? It's a good oh, night at Morrison. Uh, yeah, everyone should go to Morrison Hall at least once. Well, you're, you're now invited to the exclusive TNC promotion party at Morrison Hall. Oh, excellent. Yes, yeah. oh, at the brilliant. end of the season, yeah. Right, I when didn't we, even know about up. this. Well, well, it's very private. Okay, thanks. <laughs> um, so, Dave, for the people that don't know who you are, yes. which is no one, I doubt, um, who are you? What did you do? What do you do now? And why are you here? <sighs> who am I, first of all? Dave Carolan. Um, most Norwich City fans will know me because yeah. um, I spent 10 years at the club from the end of the 90s, that's the last millennium, mm. uh, through to 2008. Um did it even get a celebration game at the end? No, I didn't get a testimonial. <laughs> you know, the, the whole reason testimonials were banned for staff, I can't remember who it was, um, the organiser, ah, Tim Shepard. Tim mm. Shepard got a 20-year testimonial. I think it was 20 years. Um, and he got to play Celtic um, at home. Fantastic yeah. night. Really, really good. And from that day on, this club swore never to give any member of staff a testimonial. Did it get quite but you could, heavy? Well, yeah, there's a lot of people who, no, it wasn't that way. It was just like Tim sold out 24,000 people. And, um, Are you saying you couldn't have sold out 24,000 tickets? Well, we were rebuilding the stadium at that yes, stage. Oh, of course. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, so 10 years at the club, yep. head of sports science, That was that your title? That was my title, yeah. Because... I imagine 1998, just to make you feel slightly older, year after I was born, um, oh sports science, is that a big thing in 1998? Because I can't imagine it is. No, it wasn't a big thing. In fact, there were only probably three or four of us in the, in the country doing it at that stage. Delia, to her credit, had the foresight to see that sport was changing. Um, and colleagues of mine had written an article in one of the national newspapers talking about the advent of sports science across other sports, especially the Olympic sports. So the Delia contacted um, Keith, uh, Keith and Joe, and invited them to come up and talk to her about sports science. And off the back of that, she made a decision that she wanted to have a sports science uh, input at the club. Now, Amazing. at the time, Mike Walker, I think, was the then manager. Yeah. Um, and I think the club had had a fair few injuries that season, which had kind of prompted this discussion about uh, maybe having to look at new ways of doing things. 
And to her credit, she said, okay, I'm going to back this. I think it's the right thing to do. Um, and at the end of the season, the manager changed um, and we were brought in. I was brought in full time mm. uh, to be the kind of hands on deck at the club. Um, we had Joe Dunbar, who came in as an exercise physiologist. Mm. Uh, Joe had worked with, he was working with Lennox Lewis at the time. Wow. He worked with uh, world champion triathletes. Uh, was already working with other football teams on a consultancy basis. We had Keith Power, who was uh, an Olympic coach and psychologist. And we had Jane Griffin, who was the then British Olympic team nutritionist. So and this is all at Norwich? This was all at wow. Norwich, yeah. So 1998, uh, most people wouldn't have ever known that these no, people yeah. were in the background supporting and helping to create this sports science culture. Yeah. Um, they would have seen me because I was doing warm-ups, but these are <laughs> yeah. great people, like real high-caliber people. Um, were there not only helping me do my job, but um, helping the club hopefully uh, at the advent of sports science create some, some real <coughs> kind of strong culture around that. And that's fascinating, isn't it, Chris? Because I think from the outside looking in, sometimes people see Norwich as a, a bit behind, you know, stuck out on a limb, mm. when in fact we were creating real change. I think if you, if you look at it as a, as a cultural thing, a lot of people say, well, Arsene Wenger came to the country and changed everything. Delia Smith was doing it. Here we go, here we go. I love the fact that she was committing to innovative things back then. No offence, Dave. That's cool, because she's doing it again now, big time. Um, and I think it speaks huge volumes about Delia. Arguably, though, light and shade here, maybe that's got Delia in trouble sometimes, because I think that sometimes she might have potentially trusted people, not necessarily people in the... Yeah within the staff structure but particularly managers where she's maybe believed and maybe they've taken advantage of that but obviously great cool big Dave was in the building for many years <laughs> I remember you as warm up man well, really? yeah, that's I've been called many things. Med- Mediman, warm up man. Mediman, well, yeah, water boy. I've had yeah. you name it. I've had it more and worse than on unbroadcastable from the players. Oh, goodness but, gracious, you know, really. Um, it, it was a great time, you know. It was like a, a real time to change the culture of the sport, as you said. Mm. Arsene Wenger came in at the same time because the club at that stage appointed Bruce Rio. Mm. So Bruce had come in from having just left Arsenal. Mm. Um, you know, hugely credited with the fact he brought in Dennis Bergkamp mm. and the following year Arsene Wenger comes in and you know his kind of great signings of, of French players but also the fact that broccoli was introduced into the <laughs> menu down at London Colney What's broccoli? Now. Yeah, you know, Love so that. suddenly it was get rid of tomato sauce and bring in broccoli. You know, so that's was, all you've done, basically. You got I didn't do broccoli. <laughs> no, we looked at some other kind of things that we tried to do. I mean, I mean we've had some great innovations over the year. I remember Roger Munby, um, you know, at the time when the club was a bit on its uh, on its downers, really, because of the the old ITV digital fiasco. You probably don't remember that. But, you He's know, not allowed to basically, comment. <laughs> basically, um, ITV digital pulled all the money out of football. So the club was in a real kind of, well, we're going to lose three million pounds right. or whatever it was of income. So Roger, being so innovative in trying to get out there and market different things, yeah. uh, turned up with uh, Californian raisins. So we were then having Californian raisins of all these different infused raisins in the dressing room for games. Raisins, broccoli, anything else? Any other veg you want to chuck in the mix? Uh, no, I can't, I can't think of any other vegetables we've tried. You know, but, <laughs> okay. you know, Crofty probably remembers a few of them. <laughs> He came Does up he? with some mad things over the years. <laughs> yeah. So let's go back to the start then. So you yeah. come into the club. Where is the club at that stage in terms of what you're trying to do? Or is it non-existent? Is there 
you know, how much change has to be made to get it to a place where you look at it and go, yeah, that's where I want it to be. Oh, massive, yeah. yeah. We need a massive change. Yeah. It, it's your old root and branch change mm. um, of the culture and the preparation before training, how we trained. A reminder, how this, we, is, yeah. this is 98. This is 1990. So they're still yeah. smoking fags and drinking whiskey in the change room at this point? No, no, no. no, 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 no. They've stopped the smoking. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whiskey's still there. The whiskey's still there. <laughs> no, um, you know, you're trying to take players who have prepared as English footballers for a generation yeah. and, and many generations mm. in terms of how they would uh, turn up for training. You know, some turning up 10 minutes before training would start, run in, get changed, run out on the pitch, you know. Um, after training, they, they wouldn't go into the gym, and the gym at Colney was, you know, it, it was not much bigger than a, you know, a box room. Still you know. the same. Yeah. Well, so in, just in, in fact, yeah, yeah, I listened to your John Ruddy episode, and, oh, thank you. and John was saying about the fact that you know Colney needed to be yeah. updated. And actually, when we going back to when we got promoted, that was my first thing down to the club was we need to upscale Colney, we mm. need to improve the gym, it needs to be expanded, um, and. Really, at that stage, it was a hard sell, mm. you know, because the counter argument was you've just got promoted and become champions using exactly the same room. Why would you mm. need to improve it? Um, but of course, if you're bringing in like players of the caliber of Thomas Helveg mm. from from Milan, well, you know, the sales, existed, yeah. yeah, but you know, uh, you know, fantastic player, yeah. technically unbelievable. I know he he's over the years had a bit of a bit of a, a, a bad press but you know fantastic player you know in terms of the number of different positions he could play and he was a really good character and there's not many times you sign a hundred cap you know yeah. international captain yeah. from Milan yep. when you're I Norwich well. um, you know but if you're bringing him to Colney at that stage and saying look at our gym whereas Milan have now got Milan Lab Right. The pinnacle of sports science, which they started two years after we started at Norwich. Oh, right? wow. But they're now like, it's gone to that level. Okay, yeah. So we're thinking, okay, yeah. when we're in 1998, the budget for the gym equipment was £500. And that's like, really? That's like one bench press now, right? Uh, yeah, so I managed. I managed. Well, Christoph Zimmerman will be all right, wouldn't he? Yeah, he'd be okay. You know, but it was right. How do you equip a gym with five hundred pounds for an attack at the championship or, yeah. or what it was Division One then? So yeah, literally, I uh, had to hustle and we got out there and we found three full Olympic lifting kits for one hundred and fifty pounds each. Bought wow. three of them and we had fifty pounds left over for the rest of the budget. And this is a championship club <laughs> yeah, operating yeah, right, on yeah, a five hundred pound. Yeah. Well, that was that. You know, that that was for the gym equipment. Yeah, of you course. Know, we had obviously other stuff. In, for yeah. But still, that seems peanuts for what well, you're trying to achieve—an elite sports team. But at that stage, you remember Colney was considered a real breakthrough training ground. Yeah. You know, there was only a few other clubs who had something comparable to Colney. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Bodymore Heath, which was kind of. Uh, Aston Villa mm. was the one that everyone kind of looked at as kind of being your mm. your archetypal, but that was built in the sixties, seventies, um, and Colney was an up, an upgrade certainly on that. Mm. But there were still plenty of clubs where they were turning up at the ground and then going to find parks and uh, to train on. You know, so Colney was still really, really good. The thing is, though, football doesn't stand still, yeah. mm. and you always have to keep upgrading yeah. the equipment, the people. Uh, to try and get you to a place where you're competitive all the time. So where does your vision come in here? Because obviously, 
we've we've said there was only three or four people like your, like yourself around at the time. You obviously think with your value you can take the club in a, in a better direction. So where's your vision come if if there's not other people doing it at the same time because you are creating change that others haven't even seen yet and that's impressive well going back to what how we ended up in here we yeah. did have a visionary above us you know Delia understood where mm. this needed to go and was willing to support that mm. but it can't just be using a, uh, a sledgehammer to crack a nut you know mm. sometimes you have to be a little bit more intricate and allow change to happen you have to encourage it to happen mm, yeah. so that meant a lot of time was spent on you know selling what we were doing to management and to players okay. in terms of how we're going to train and yeah. how it's going to benefit them so if i'm walking in the door and i'm saying to you and roberts who's i think at that stage never squatted or done deadlifts did he have teeth did he have teeth at that point <laughs> no no he still had uh, his um his false teeth yeah which only uh only came out on match day or, or training days. But yeah, you're, you're, you're starting to go into the lads and say, look, we need you to lift these weights. And it's like, we're not rugby players. Yeah. You know, we're not rowers. Really? You know, why are we going to lift weights? They're going to make wow. us slow. So you're, you're trying to sell the benefits of that. And that takes time. Yeah, of course. Know? But it was easier, obviously, with the academy because I used to do everything from the first team through to all the academy. Yeah. With those, with <clears> the kids, you just started saying, this is how we're training. Yeah. And you you can you can start straight away. They mm. don't know any different, so they'll just take whatever they're being asked to do. With the first team, it was a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, Chris, we've had Dean Ashton on this podcast before, and he spoke about when he came from. Let me get this right, Crew to Norwich. Yeah, yeah. And you were obviously there at that point oh, in the yes, club, yeah. and I kind of get it though, Chris, because he was he'd only been used to something, and he'd been very successful, and then he goes up a notch, and it's suddenly all different. That must be tough for a player to suddenly change so quickly, mustn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, and I think that, well, you know that from Russ and Wes um, in the podcast with us recently, them saying that, you know, even if you look at the Daniel Farker contrast from just the English prep to German prep, mm -hmm. the contrast there too. So, yeah, players struggle with it. But I think, um, you know, survival of the fittest, literally, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I, mean, I, and I mean, when Dino turned up, he arrived, we went to play Aston Villa. And I'm, you were taking the piss out of him, weren't you? Well, no. We, I just well, said weren't. to him before the, before the game, I said, um, Dino, like, how do you like to warm up? Because you, you're always trying to get that insight from players as to how they like to prepare. And uh, <laughs> he says, yeah, yeah I like a, like a hard warm-up, yeah. So, I like a hard warm-up? Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, yeah. Dino. No, no, he says, like, you know, and we've done our research. I know the guy's a crew. I know what he had done. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, he, said, he says, uh, yeah, well, I like a, you know, Get, get proper sweat on and warm up. Like, okay, right. Well, you'll see what we do, and then we'll speak afterwards and see what you think. <laughs> Here we go. And literally five minutes in, he's blowing. Like <laughs> the lads are looking at him like this guy can't be fit to play, you know. But you know, he he got a, he got a sweat on, but he got more on than he probably thought. You yeah. know. Now whether that sweat was responsible for the ball glancing in off the well, off exactly. his bonds for the uh, for the first goal for Villa, I don't know. <laughs> but you know, um, and and that's a lot of what we do when players come into us nowadays. Mm -hmm. You know, we do a lot of research into what they've done before mm -hmm. because you got to be careful with them. You can't just suddenly chuck them in and uh, and hope for the best. You got you got to ease some in. You got to ease some back. Can we go to nowadays, or are we still we still going I, through I the just, Dave timeline? Yeah, I was just curious in terms of it's a long timeline. <laughs> Dean, Dean is it's obviously a cool is a, was a fantastic player, and but there's not going. He's not going to be the only one who maybe didn't fancy the the training side of things when he came to the club. 
How do you go about finding what suits a player? Because you hear about some players who might only train a couple of times a week due to injuries. It must be very specific. So how do you go about finding what works for a squad of 25 different players? Because that can't be easy. Yeah, we, I mean, you hear a lot about medicals nowadays, yeah. you know, and there's this kind of mystique about it. You know, what happens at a medical? A lot of the time that we spend doing is researching the history, you know. Mm. How often do they play? How often do they last in games? Do they continually have to be subbed mm. off? What's their injury history like? You know, are we seeing a lot of repeat similar type of mm. injuries? You know, are they soft tissue or are they, you know, ligamentous or joint mm -hmm. injuries? You know, so we put, do a lot of work on really understanding what the player is when they come in. Then we explain our philosophy of how we train to them okay. and then see how that matches up to what they've been exposed to. Nowadays, it's quite simple because there's a lot of data sharing. We're able yeah. to get yeah. information. Um, but back in the day, you're probably spending time just sitting down with them saying, look, what have you done? How have you done it? What do you like to do? Is there anything you really dislike doing? And then you try and match that. Mm. And at that point, have you ever had to turn anyone away from Norwich City? Is there anyone that you'd gone, you're just not the right fit? Not the right fit, but when, when they're in the building. Yeah. Have they failed medicals before? There's different reasons people can fail medicals. Yeah. You know, it can, there can be a lot of things, you know, and in the past there's certainly been medicals that have been used as there must be so awkward declarations of why a player's transfer hasn't gone through uh, because okay. they failed the medical, but actually it could be buried somewhere in... You know, other, Somewhere else, other yeah. reasons, but it's it's a big statement when somebody comes out to fail a medical because it tells the rest of the football world mm. and everybody that uh, okay. there's a a physical issue here that you might have to uh, have to deal with. You know, but that's not to say that some clubs have a very very rigorous medical, mm -hmm. and other clubs can be a bit more relaxed about it. You know, and often it might come down to do you need this player? Are you willing to take the risk? So when you see a, a player like a Matt Jarvis, who all Norwich fans feel sorry for in, in his you know, career since he signed for Norwich in terms of just consistent long-term injuries, would that have come up when we went to sign him? Would, would that have been, as you say there, a risky signing? Would we have known about these injuries that kept cropping up before we went out and spent the money? Um, you'd like to think you'd know about what injuries they've had. You yeah. know, certainly there are systems out there to... Um, to show you mm. the internet's great now because you know actually the internet didn't exist I don't think I was just starting <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember, remember in my house and Heather said trying to download a file which was three megabytes and it took five hours yeah, dial up, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was Heather's or whatever but, um, no so there's a lot of data sharing now so we can certainly go out and look at the player's history you also have to potentially look at where they're coming from right and maybe make a professional judgment as to how was their care, okay. where they were, oh, right. yeah. okay. and think, have you got a system that can support the player better? Mm. So, you know, going to what we, we do now, we know that over the last four or five years that I've been working with the manager I'm with now, or have been with, which um, is with, with Gary yeah. Rabbit, um, we've had four or five less than grade two hamstrings in four years. Wow. So how we train, how we prepare, we know pretty much protects our players against a lot of soft tissue yeah. injuries. Um, 
and that's that's a nice way of looking back at your body of work and going, we think we can this keep works. players yeah. on the fit. Now, <clears throat> that's not to say that some players aren't just predisposed to certain types of injuries. Now, managing those, who mm, knows? Yeah. You know, pr injuries present themselves in lots of different <coughs> ways. Nowadays, we, we, we do everything from assessing saliva to looking at wow. Them. Yeah, you know, because we want to look at stress levels, you know, so you can That's see you can see now as players approach transfer deadline day, you can see their stress levels going up because there's potentially a move or they might be getting sold and now they're under pressure at home or they're under pressure from the So you can tell if they've had a bad night with the missus? Well, not not to that level. No, oh, right, I can't okay. say, you know, she might have been stressing him, <laughs> but I don't know how. Okay. <laughs> so that that's really interesting because we hear nowadays a lot about mental health, and rightly so. Yeah. So, is it almost now a sense of assessing physical health and also mental? Has that changed over the twenty odd years you've been in the game? Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly, you, you know, you see it locally with Norwich. You've seen a lot of players who have had mental health issues. Yeah. Not a lot of players, but you've had players yeah, who course. have had mental health issues, and sometimes you don't know about those. Right. You know, they they can be things that were. You know, it, it's a very much a bravado game, you mm. know, and uh, you know, a lot mm. of alpha males and a lot of testosterone and that kind of um, that kind of thing was being hidden. Mm. And even though these lads would turn up every day for training and be a really competitive beast, they'd get in their car and drive away from the training ground and like be having a really, really Just completely, time. yeah. Yeah, you know, so, and, and you know, there was a great interview I heard last week with David Bentley and he mm. was talking about yeah. his stresses um, and how he feels so much better being out of football now. Um, you know, but David, when he came here, was like a real bravado guy. Yeah, young, I young, remember that. Young Blonde highlights. Yeah, yeah. Uh, scored great goals. You know, the one in Newcastle was a, uh, was a fantastic yeah. one away. Um, and, you know, he used to tell us, you know, he'd be living out in the country and he'd be going up to the edge of his garden and talking to the cows every evening, you know. So, wow. You know, just because wow. he, was, he was a London boy. He was out in the country yeah, yeah. and he was like, what do I do? What do you hear with... with talking to the cows. But also you hear, with the, you hear with Danny Rose as well, who, of course, has come out saying, you know what, I can't wait to finish football because mm. of, of the racist abuse. So there's just, there's a lot, there's probably a lot of players that are like, this is just really hardcore mm. and the money doesn't come into it does it because it's your health and your wellness that comes before that so massive part of it but, but going back to the point you were making do we do we screen for it as much as we can yeah you know so i suppose there's um, only so much you can do though isn't there yeah i mean at, at stoke we had a psychologist and the psychologist was was you know in charge of spending time with the players yeah Sometimes before the signs, sometimes obviously when they're in the building, mm. Mm. to try and hopefully flag potential issues that we could then address. Mm. You know, so how you might speak to players, okay. when's the right time to speak to them, should you bring something up or should you avoid it? You know, it's not that you're going to necessarily tiptoe around things, mm. but it's certainly huge in a, in a manager's armory mm. to know, look, this guy's having stresses at home. Yeah, 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 you know? definitely. So there's a there's a ton of pressure on you, Dave. Actually, and going back two steps to my comments about the medical and getting that over the line, so to speak, in that Sky Sports language. D did you feel pressure from managers that the medical was kind of like a we just need to get it done sort of thing, or were you like actually, hang on a minute, mate, this is really serious? How did you go about that when when the pressure was on to potentially get a deal over the line or something like that? Well, I mean. 
fortunately for me, you know, most of the medical happens with the medical staff. So mm -hmm. whether that was Tim Shepard or Neil Reynolds and the doctors that were associated with them. Um, so, you know, in terms of musculoskeletal assessment, mm -hmm. that was their, mm -hmm. their bag. We were doing other research into their, you know, game outputs. We could use ProZone or, you know, try and get GPS data or whatever that might be. Yeah. Or we talk to our oppos at other clubs and just try and get as much information as you can because not every club is going to tell you, oh, yeah, the guy's a croc, yeah. you know, because <laughs> they're, trying to sell they're, they're trying to sell yeah, you on there. They're pitching to you, you know. Right? But you've also got the, you know, it's a, it's a bit like when uh, you have to give a reference for somebody who's... Uh, you know, leaving your organisation, somebody phones you up, you know. Yes, you have to decline you, it. Well, you can give as much of the truth as you decide that you want Okay, to, right. You know, so you don't have to have full disclosure, but you can give enough information, okay. you know. So it's, it's not the easiest thing to do, mm. you know, to get to the point where medical is like black and white in mm. terms of sign, don't sign. Um, medicals will always have as you said earlier, risk associated with mm. it. So you might red flag certain things. You know, if it's a, if, if it's a major knee problem, yeah, that could be blowing up every three, six months, then yeah, that's a, that's a big risk, you know. And I've had it in the past where, you know, you get very, very short amount of time. Actually, I had to do a physical with somebody and it was pretty much a, you've got 20 minutes, make a decision. Wow. Yeah. You know, wow. on, the, on the back of this yeah, is yeah. whether we sign the guy or not. But just to let you know, there's going to be X amount of money involved in this mm. signing. So go on then. So you're in the Norwich City room now, and I'm going to try. I'm going to try and squeeze something out of you. I'm going <laughs> to put right. some pressure on you now, Dave. Okay. Can you reveal a player that almost signed that didn't, or did it never happen? Oh, uh, yeah. One who I've worked with since, you know. Um, so... Dougie Livermore, I remember him coming up to me on the training ground and said, look, we're signing this great young talent. He's coming in. We've got a little bit of work to do with him. You know, he's, he's, he's a fantastic passer of the ball. You know, he's destined for the very, very top, but we need to work on his mobility. Okay. Um, now he's still gone on and he's played probably Champions League. He's been the full England international. Dave. He's still playing now. Dave, come on. So Tom Huddleston was one of the players. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, so... And but, what season was that? Go on, squeeze it out. Oh, cool. Come on. Trying to think. TNC exclusive. I don't know. Two. What manager? I think that was under Nigel, that one. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So, but, yeah, but yeah that, that was one where it was going to be Tom's come in and we're going to work with him, you know, to improve his mobility. And then I don't know what happened, but he yeah, ended up yeah. going somewhere else. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Tom Huddleston could have been ours. Is there a risk? When we spoke to Jake on the podcast about a month ago, I think <clears> a word that kept cropping up in that and the reason he thought we were maybe doing so well this season is we've got a lot of, a lot of youngsters who are maybe slightly naive in this situation. They haven't been here before. They're, they're fearless. Is there a risk in the modern game of overanalyzing things? And, you know, there's stats for everything. Is there sometimes... A value in just being slightly naive to it all and just going out there and doing you. Well, hundred percent. There is death by data. You know, you can sit, literally read anything. Mm. You know, you can see stats. I was at the game on Saturday mm. and I could see all of the passing stats for QPR and Norwich at halftime. Sat in my seat, so yeah. I can see who was passing, where they were passing, yeah. what direction. You know, the balance of play. So you can see why teams make tactical decisions. Mm. You know. The problem now for a manager is 
if the fans have got that sat in the stands, you can't really come out after the game and tell a completely different yeah, story. Yeah, interesting. To what you know, a fan can see all yeah. the statistics. So yeah, it, it is it is difficult now with the amount of information. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I think you have to work from culture first. You know okay. what your philosophy is of how you want to play and how that culture sits um, around your team and around your management. Um, that allows you then to have the platform to then progress. So people who don't fit that culture need to remove. Mm. People who come in need to fit in. So that's that's the first thing I think. And then after that, you can start to see, well, okay, how do we build towards how we want to play? You're not going to do it in three months mm. or six months sometimes. It sometimes takes a lot of time. Mm. If you look at the team, when we got promoted in 2004, was vastly the same team from three years earlier. Yeah. You know, the team that got to the playoff final and the team that got promoted, mm. there's probably 85% of the same team mm. and practically the same squad stayed together for a long time. So they knew, knew each other's mm. thinking, they knew each other's behaviours before they did anything. Nowadays, we want success fast. Yeah. And because data's fast and information's fast mm. and everyone can make a very quick assumption, right, we know you had 75% possession, but what did you do with it? Yeah. You know, back in the day, it was like, Okay, we had a lot of the ball, but you know, we didn't do enough. Because yeah. you often see, Dave, particularly from an away team visiting Car Road, you have a guy with a laptop that sprints in front of the Barclay before the halftime whistle yep. goes. So he's clearly in there presenting the data to the gaffer to then provide the correct team talk. Is that how it works? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, some managers will look for certain you know, KPIs, uh, key performance indicators that they want to look at. So often there'll be a communication from the bench to the analysts in terms of clipping certain things that they want to okay. look at again. You know, so that might be in set plays or it might be in uh, transitions or whatever that might mm -hmm. be. Um, so those five or six clips will then be brought in to, ha to have a look at again, uh, both offensively and defensively. Um, but again, <laughs> going back in 2000, we had the first ever live into halftime at Carroll Road. So we were actually taking the video and sending it straight into halftime onto a television. Right. Um, so yeah, again, going back to innovation, you know, we were we were driving live halftime <coughs> statistics into the dressing room, awesome. you know, so. Um, but yeah, you know, those kind of inputs can make a big difference, you know. Again, going back to the weekend's game against QPR, you could see that they shifted their formation at halftime. They knew they had to stop Norwich. You know, it's something like we did it at, when we came to Carroll Road early in the year with Stoke, which was, you know, yep. these guys are so good in possession. <clears throat> at some stage, you just got to say, right, have the ball and we'll defend for mm. our lives. You know, and certainly the second half, I thought QPR, you know, held Norwich a little bit more yep. at arm's length. You could argue. Norwich were three 0 up at the same time. You know, yeah. <laughs> maybe well, there was well, damage limitation going on. Yeah, we'll get onto the, the the weekend's game in a bit. But you mentioned their culture, and that's certainly a, a I think a buzzword that's been used a lot, especially since Stuart Webber's arrived at the mm -hmm. club. And we all know the fantastic work that he's done. <clears throat> in terms of your role, culture is obviously very important in terms of what you're trying to do. But how much influence do you actually have on it? Because if the people above you aren't seeing the same vision as you are, then it's going to be tough, isn't it? So you're almost having to feed a culture from where you are upwards and hopefully it comes back down as well. So it can't be easy. 
Well, uh, coming in as a management group, mm. we know how we like to run our culture. Yeah. You know, and and not everyone's the same. It's not identical cultures that everyone brings in. Some people are very much disciplinary, and some managers are run a real tight ship. Yeah. Others are a little bit looser. Yeah. Some like players, you know, get away with certain things others absolutely clamp down on those so you've got a decision to make as to where you want to lie on that kind of spectrum of you know real disciplinarian very very loose right now most people will probably not go for the real hard or the real soft our job is really to manage that that's being continually worked at okay. so when we're when players are turning up one minute late for a gym session yeah we nail that you know we're not going to allow people to be just wandering in when they want it's right. a training session it's just as important some players may disagree with this but it's just as important as the football yeah, stuff love that it. they do well, punk, being you know? punctual is important in life let alone being a footballer dave come on well yeah you'd like to think so you know but you well, know the, when well, it's so come on, the worst the, trainers then come on worst, worst trainers give me a few oh. worst trainers at norwich come on at norwich was there a few that you had to give a bollocking to Oh, yeah, you know, we've had players. The, the best examples I can probably give you are when people turn back for pre-season, you know. And I've moved away over yeah, the years okay. from, from the old soundbite of, oh, the lads have turned up. They're all in great nick. You know, they did their programs. And I'm like, <laughs> mo yeah. most guys, and I was this guy years ago, you know, patting myself on the back for like, I did a great program. Lads are really fit. Gaffer, come on, let's have a, you know, a new contract. Um but I've seen players come back in terrible shape. Yeah. Come on, come on. Well, no, I don't, I don't think it'd be okay, fair best, to... best, best then. Who was in oh, the best shape in Norwich? Best shape? I mean, the, 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 the best year probably was when Andy Hughes or Andrew Hughes came to the club. Interesting. Because Andy, Andrew was super fit, but we already had a super fit athlete in the, in the building. So competitive animals both wanted mm. to be alpha dogs so Hooks and Hughesy went at it to be who would be the best on the lactate test yeah. so they'll fit infamous lactate test now it's a it's a hard run anyway but these two cranked it up so by the end of it um, they were ruined for the game <laughs> oh, no I mean they, they ruined other people on a Saturday because they yeah. were just so fit yeah yeah you know so so Darren Andy ended Hughes. up getting be able to, I think it was 22.4 kilometers per hour, having done about seven stages of three minutes before that, he got about halfway through that. And to be fair to Andy, he went at it, but you know, got about 30 seconds in, but that's phenomenal level yeah. running. I remember like, Andy Hughes having the worst chant of all time. And I'm sure people will remember this in the comment. It was literally just Hughes. And that was it. I just remember him having a shocking chant. But well, it is a chant. Learn behold. <laughs> there he are was pit an players. Awesome trainer. There are players. I didn't say he was an awesome <laughs> trainer. He said he was very, very fit. Okay. You know, so. Um, okay. Yeah, but yeah, Hughes, he had a chant. There's plenty of people who didn't yeah. have a chant. Some of us had a chant. So go on then, word on Hux. Hux. Give us a word on Hux. Because he, he, he knows he's fit. And he, when we've had on him, on him on here a few times, and he's still doing like 10K runs every day. Still. Yeah. What did he say? He never used to eat breakfast or something? No, no. Just ate pasta for yeah. lunch and that was it? Yeah, I mean, we had some bizarre things going on. I mean, Ewan ended up just having like milky coffee in the morning because he was trying to like drop some body fat, you know, because we, we had a bit of work to do at the start. And to be fair, <laughs> to be fair, he nailed it, you right. know. He, he got, in, in fact, he got to a point where we had to tell him to start putting weight back right. on. Oh, wow. Because he committed to it, you know, and suddenly he saw the benefits of it and he felt he was getting better and fitter. Um, but again, it's it's always a 
players are getting older, they're playing more and more games, so you're trying to manage this ideal of some kind of aesthetic mm-hmm. look with performance. And some people sit at a you know, slightly higher body fat. So, we, yeah, we kind of talk about optimal weight, you know, similar to a boxer, you know, if they're, if they're too light, they've got mm-hmm. no power. Too yeah. heavy, they're too sluggish. So mm-hmm. we're always trying to find that balance, go back to what's individual for one is mm-hmm. just the same for another. I suppose there's no better example in recent years than Grant Holt at Norwich. A lot of opposition fans, you, you know, <clears throat> sung what they, they did and, and he embraced that, but he was a, a, well, I don't know if he was, but looked fairly fit and athletic on the pitch and it worked for him. Well, he scored a lot of goals. He did. You know, so fundamentally, what's his job? Score Indeed. goals and he scored goals. Yeah. I'd be interested to get your thoughts going away from Norwich slightly. Marcelo Bielsa this yeah. season. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. Spygate, all of that. You, you know, you've been behind the scenes for the donkeys of years. This isn't new, right? This mm-hmm. this has been happening before. Or well, is spying? This or not, yeah, all right, spying. Oh, I was going down oh. the data avenue because he's just so well, thorough with his well, data. Well, there's, there's two he? things here, isn't there? You've got the spying, which I guess plays into just getting more and more data and how thorough he is. Where does he sit on the spectrum in terms of the preparation? I mean, yeah, everybody came out the following week and said that's nothing new. And certainly doing research on teams before you play them is nothing mm-hmm. new. Mm-hmm. Now, the lengths that he said doing 50 matches of, like, he watched 50 matches of our Derby County season. Mm-hmm. Now, there's an argument to say, well, it's a completely different manager, mm-hmm. plays a different way with different players. What's the relevance? Mm-hmm. You know, but if he's looking for individual detail on the behaviours of certain players, yeah, fair play. Yeah. If you've got the manpower to go through 50 games and produce that level of data, not only just for one game, mm. but you got to do it for the other 45 mm. games of the season. I mean, fair play. On do you think s- that's overkill? Well, you know, he's, he's got a team that were 14th in the season, uh, 14th in the league last year to around. top yep. two. Mm. You know, so do you say top that's... Three. Oh yeah, <laughs> we are live. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're, they're a top three team yeah. and have been top two most of the yeah. season. Thanks. <laughs> um, but you could easily say, how are Norwich doing their stuff? They're getting equally yeah. as good results. Mm. Similarly, they were both, I think, beside each other in the league at the end of last they year, were. 13th or 14th yeah. or yeah. whatever they were. And um, you know they both turned it around. So what it does show you that is, from one year to the next, there's no guarantee in the in the championship that last year is going to be a guide to next year. Mm. You know, and uh, I've I've said it many times that um, you come to Carroll Road and you see a team that over seventy games developed their art, mm. and there was certainly frustration. You know, I come back in and I speak to my friends. You know, we go down to the pub on a Saturday night. I talk about. What our games they tell me about Norwich's games and you'd hear the frustration of a, oh, we have loads of the ball but we don't score Yeah. whereas this year it's like we have loads of the ball and we score loads Yeah. but that's been drip fed mm. for a long time and you know I, I went to the East Anglian derby at Ipswich this year Yeah. and I came away from that game going we need to play either of these teams soon right. because they were both and this is when he's still at Stoke. Yeah, still at yeah. Stoke. Because I came away from it thinking, well, you know, neither of them look like they really have honed what they're mm. going to be this mm. season. Agreed. Um, they were, it was a patchy game. Probably in the end, Norwich were happier coming out of yeah. it. You know, and... Uh, but I, 
I also reflect on that game because I think that was one of the turning points of the season for Norwich and, and not because of anything they necessarily how they played on the day mm. but the fact that I think it was Louis Thompson mm. injured his hamstring mm. refused to come off yeah. yeah stayed on the pitch oh boy and actually the um, now memory might be failing me here because I'm a lot older than you lads but if I remember, a lot of the chat afterwards was the fact that Louis Thompson had stayed on yes. and it showed the culture of the team. The team didn't want to let the fans down. Yes. He didn't want to let the team down. Mm. And it was almost like you felt afterwards like, this all came together. Yeah. Suddenly it was like, all right, yeah, we're all that. willing to that fight me. for each other to not lose a game. And the fans thought, this is amazing. Mm. These guys will stay on the pitch injured to not lose a game and for me that was a real like important point of the season where because after that they went on a run of five games yeah wins yeah then they lost don't know how to <laughs> and then yeah. they won six games yeah, if you look, hang on what's that all about by the way how could you do that to us I've got a good history account. Right? <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been back a few times. You knew right? everything, didn't you? Uh, you uh, fed it yeah, all. Yeah. Yeah. And they yeah. still needed one of our players to score for them as well. You know, if you want to help us out, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're willing to take it. You know, we, I came back with Colchester and the goalkeeper helped us out that first day. Yeah, know. we won't talk about that. Sorry <laughs> to bring it back up. But you know, that, that actually, you're, you're a real, I'm not happy with you, Dave, actually. Why are you even here? You've, down, you've hurt me. I, th- I, th- I, think, I think when we went to the start, he called me a maverick. <laughs> he did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, I've had, I've had great times coming back to Carroll Road um, as well as when I was here, you know. So it's, it's always been a good place. And uh, I said it when I left, and, and I think some people might have thought it was sick of fancy when I said, um, that's my big word of the day, by the way. Okay. You know, if anyone can get that on a board, great. Okay. Um, yeah, it was... You know, this is home for us. Norwich is home for us, or right. Norfolk is home for us. We've never moved away after you know being away for ten years. So, you know, coming back was it, it's always the first fixture I would look to. So hopefully, yeah. I'm getting to look for one next year. You were at the club for ten years then. So we've talked about when you walked in the door. Mm-hmm. How chuffed were you leaving with the legacy you left? Because you changed a lot at the club. Were you happy with what you've done in that time? Yeah, without a doubt. You know, um, we we had had some good times. You know, we got to the playoff Very final. Very good. Yeah. Um, we won the league. Yeah, not you know, too bad. That's not too shabby. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think most people would have that. Um, actually, lasting for ten years. Yeah. So, you know, some people would say I saw a lot of managers off, and I certainly saw a lot of players off the premises. I lasted Flem and that. Of, you know, yeah. And, you know, he was the only player who was there at the start. Oh, he was right, the last okay. player yeah, yeah. Who, who left, you know, and um, you know again. He, then I, I teamed up with him got the following year or two years at Lowestoft. But yeah, I think when you when you come to a place, if you leave it, you like to think that you've left in a better place. Mm. And I think it was mm. in a better place. Certainly, you, you always look for the results, and you hope that people carry that on. Now they're going to do it in different ways, mm. and I'm sure by now, you know, it's it, it was always interesting coming back. You know, you still see stewards and you still see fans mm. who, who remember when you were here. Um, and then you see players who you worked with, you know, very young players. You know, I remember Gunny putting his gloves on, you know, Angus for the first time. Yeah. I've got on a video somewhere at home, so I'm going to have to get that. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's gold. Yeah, if I can find that, you know, I think Brian will probably want that first. But um, yeah, so you see people like him, Chris Martin, Jason Shackle, yeah. you know. We used to fitness test all the players, so the Murphy brothers, when they were like 
this high, you know, Tom Adiemi, all those, you know, yeah. it was great, great times, you know, to, to work with a lot of great players, you know, be part of their uh, tiny, tiny part of their future. So this is all very rosy, Dave. Yeah. But Glenn Roder rocks up. Yep. And it all changes. It did indeed. So thoughts and feelings on Mr. Roder? I mean, it's a manager's prerogative to change what he needs to at a club. You know, if he deems that, you know, there needs to be changes, whether they're on the pitch, you know, we're no different to players. You know, mm. if the, the players aren't in the manager's future, mm. and staff can equally not be in the manager's future. You know, what you hope is that whether you're working with someone and they like you or not, that they respect the work you do and the people that you are. And I think that's something I've always tried to do with players. And you hope that you get that return to you. Not every manager treats people well. Other managers treat them very, very well. Um, some have got agendas, mm. some don't. So, yeah, it was uh, it was short shrift, certainly, at the end of that mm. season, you know, because there were a lot of us in the staff who um, who went through the exit door that, that right, summer. Okay. Um, and it's always disappointing when it's done in a really quiet way in mm. the dead of the closed season so you don't get to say goodbye to other staff or you don't get to say wow. yeah, goodbye to players not that players necessarily or other staff are particularly bothered about that but it's a form of closure that you want yeah. when you leave a club is to say thank you and goodbye to people and when you've been there for that long as well yeah yeah certainly you know it was uh, it was 10 good years yeah. um I, th I think a lot of us had got the impression that there were going to be changes, so yeah. we'd have to be, um, yeah, we'd have to have been pretty blind to not. It must have been incredibly hard, though, even knowing that it was coming. It must have been so difficult. Ten years, settled down, all of the players you'd seen through, and for someone to just rock up and say, "You're not some of me, sorry." Yeah, I think that. I mean, you've obviously had Darren on and. Um, Myself, Darren, Dion, um, we were all there at um, Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough mm. in the last yeah. end of season. Um, the famous one, like Dion was supposed to stay on for a certain amount of time. That wasn't honoured. Um, Hawks never really got to, you know, he didn't know he was staying or going. And then when we got off the pitch at the end of the game, I always, always wait for the last players to come off yeah. to make sure they're all safe most of the time. And um, when we got to the dressing room, we weren't allowed into the dressing room. So it was, it was only Glenn's staff who were allowed into the dressing room. So we had to wait outside. And that was pretty much, we, we could look around as, as a set of staff and kind of at that point we kind of knew, right, this has all changed. You know? That seems mad though, that you're, you're all Norwich, you're a squad. Absolutely. Yet it's Glenn's staff who's allowed in. Surely you're Glenn's staff. You're working for the same common goal here. It's not, it shouldn't well, be one fraction and another fraction. That just seems wrong. Well, at that stage, season was done. So right. I think that the line of the sand was drawn on 90 minutes. So from now, we're moving forward oh, to man. next season. And from this point, you know, even though we didn't know it <clears throat> officially, we probably knew Did the down. players get a sniff of that, though, Dave? Did, did that affect, in your opinion, the players' performance then going into the following season? They must have been like, hang on a minute, we're losing Dave, we're losing all of the staff. I mean... That must have created some real uncertainty for the club. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I was in that summer, myself and Neil Reynolds were in with uh, Adam Drury. Mm -hmm. He was rehabbing his knee, and um, there was, I think we were right, right at the end of May, 
<clears throat> so we were still working with Adam, getting him to a point where he could go off and have his holiday. So we were still in. We were mm. still working with this player who was, you know, a, a top player mm. for the club and, um, yeah. you know, had been club captain. Um, and then suddenly uh, one kind of Friday, it was into the office and out the door, you know. So it can be, it is as brutal as mm. that. <clears throat> I think sometimes, you know, in our situation, um, as staff, we're almost collateral damage that really, right. the fans don't really know too much about us, what we do. They mm. just think we're other staff sometimes. Yeah. And when they're calling for a manager's head, they don't sometimes don't realise that yeah, true. if he true. goes, there's also going to be yeah. five, yeah. six, seven other members of staff who are potentially going to lose their jobs. So yes, you may not be happy with the manager, and I'm not pleading that you can't. Yeah. You'll mm. be upset with a manager, but there, certainly uh, there are collateral damage to any change. So, to so speak about that point, then, Dave, I remember very well the, the massive worthy out moment. What was that like being in the camp at, at that point? Yeah, listening to those chants, and you know, that must be really difficult considering you'd won the league with, with Worthy. Yeah, it was a different time, though, wasn't it? You know, like nowadays, you're going back to the immediacy thing. If you can start a movement in a few days on Twitter, yeah, and that can build momentum really, really quick. Mm. A hashtag here, and you built it with, with Nigel. It, you know, we we got relegated um, from the Premier League. Mm. We then had a whole other season where we were expected to bounce back, like every team yeah. was expected to bounce yeah. back. Um, and I think you know, if you take the last five years, only one team in the last. 15 has, has gone back up from coming down. Yeah. So it was no really, it was really different back then, apart from West Brom were doing it. But we ended up, um, yeah, starting the next year really. No, we started the next year well. Mm. And I think it was the end of August. I think we were, I think we were in top six. Mm. And September was, was car yeah. crash. And um, I distinctly remember we were. It's Burnley at home, isn't it? Burnley at home was the, the last game, yeah. So and and the doc famously got sent off, you know, for trying to rugby tackle. I can't remember who was up front. For what him, a boy, though. Yeah. Gary Doherty, what a boy. Yeah, fast. Top boy. Top boy. Top boy. Yeah, you've, you've, oh, what a man. He should have been playing up front for Norwich, surely. The ginger Pele, yeah. He could he could play oh. either way, but he actually he actually wanted to nail down a position and was asked which one he wanted. And he picked defence. He, he picked defence. Yeah. Oh, anyway, so it was difficult at that moment. Oh yeah, you know the, those are those are tough times because I'd worked with Nigel for six years, mm. and you're seeing a man who's been you know relentlessly abused from the from the stands. Mm. You know, so you go to Saturday and you see a manager being lauded from the stands, yeah. and obviously, and Nigel was that same manager yeah. when we yeah. got yeah. promoted. Yeah. yeah, but there wasn't a social media campaign mm. to be able to back him. There wasn't a, you know, you guys who are in having kind of chats with people who are telling you about the insides of the game. Mm -hmm. All the fans knew were two things. They saw the interviews on the telly mm -hmm. and they always criticised Anglia or BBC because they are biased towards right. whoever or you were getting the local papers. Yeah. You know, because the clubs hadn't, didn't have a real TV mm. broadcast, mm. you know, so you got highlights, you might have got an interview, that was it. And so it must have been really nice for you recently to have seen Worthy welcomed back into Colney to present the lads with a shirt. I forgot who it was actually, who was it that was putting the shirt? I think, I think it was Mike and Teta, yeah. That must have been nice. 
Oh, yeah, it's good yeah. to see the work that Stuart's doing now, bringing the old band back together, so to speak. Yeah, you know, there, there have certainly been times at Norwich, uh, you know, in recent years, I've spoken to colleagues and, and friends and ex-players who, you know, they, they couldn't really go in, and now they're bringing them all back in, you know, and it's great to see. I've, I've spoken to Nigel countless times over the years, you know, he's, he's a top, top man, and uh, was always great fun. Mm. Um, certainly, you go back to culture. He was a real nice guy. Yeah. I remember meeting him as a kid, and he had all the time of the day for all of the fans, definitely. Yeah, you know, and before there was Wales with Stronger Together and everybody else with Something Together, you know, back then the phrase was togetherness. You know, we we coined that phrase back then. You know, while oh. Ian Dowie was coining bounce back ability, we were coining togetherness, and um, oh, it was fantastic times. You know, we had a real fun time at the training ground. You know, the mm -hmm. lads. Uh, you know, we could we could have a real laugh in training. Steve Foley used to say, you know, you can have a real laugh in training, but don't make training a laugh. So we knew what okay. we knew what the level was. I like that. Where, I like that. where we could have fun. But it was this idea of serious fun. But when it came to Saturday, three o'clock, that team would go to war. With There's anyone. something I have to mind there, Dave. You've come out with a, a real gem there, which has been a bugbear of mine for a while. And I think a lot of people would probably know that by now as well. Oh. Legends at a football club. Legends coming back, not allowed. Gunny taking the job, um, the way the Gunny was treated. But... That, I mean, that was the fire starter for me. But another one, you know, you and Robert's not being allowed back in the mix. You know, these people are legends of the football club. You see Paul Lambert, what he's done at Ipswich. The first thing, one of the first thing he did, he did was he brought back the legends. Just what is it like for you seeing that, knowing just if you and Roberts, for example, how much of a top man he is and for someone like him to not be involved in the club, what, what is that all about? Because surely it can only bring positivity and credibility to the club as well. Oh, yeah, well, you Roberts is in the door. Surely that lifts you, right? You'd like to think so. It's it's not to know what all the relationships are that we're not not aware of, you know. So there might have been a crossword in the past between two people, and that's mm. it. You know, there's mm. almost a blanket ban. Um, legends in football clubs. I mean. You can have a, a good uh, a good half a season now, and suddenly we get the word legend starts okay. to get banded around, you know. And and I saw some recently, you know, comparing some real established players with some young guys who are doing really well, and both the word legend have been used right. okay. at the same time. And I think that's always dangerous because not only does it potentially diminish yeah. somebody who is a real yeah. legend, mm. but it also upskill somebody or upstates somebody who maybe has had a good time mm. you know you, you can have a one season wonder who can do amazing things and then you find that they fall off the edge of a cliff let's jump to the modern day then um, okay. with Norwich yeah with all the work that Stuart's done and I've said he's a genius on multiple times but it, it doesn't feel like what we're doing now is much different to the work that you were doing, maybe it's just come to the surface a little bit more. Now it's a little bit more fashionable. What, what? I mean, what have you made of the work that Stuart's done and Daniel has done, and the and the sports science guys have done, and the recruitment team have done, compared to what was going on a couple of seasons ago, and then to compare it to what the work that you were doing with with Worthy and the fantastic times. Good luck with that question. That we had. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's broad. Yeah, broad. <laughs> what do you make of what Stuart's done, and is it much different to what you were doing under Worthy 
and others. Oh, yeah. I mean, his role is different to mine. No, I know. In terms of what Stuart's done is he's come in, he's, he's certainly shaken the tree. Yeah. You know, he's made a lot of changes behind the scenes in terms of staff. Mm. Um, you know, lots of heads of department, heads rolled, mm. uh, early doors in, the, in the, his kind of uh, time at the club. Um, and, you know, that's they're brave decisions to make, you yeah. know, especially going back, you know, to the point I made about Glenn. If someone comes in and they feel they need to change things yeah. and they've got the prerogative to do that, yeah. they have to be supported, you wow. know, because sometimes you know you got to break eggs you know if you want that nice omelette and he certainly <laughs> you know go back to or risotto <laughs> i don't know do you put eggs in the risotto but anyway um my, the point the point stands which is you know he's come in he made some big big calls early uh recruitment wise i mean nobody nobody saw daniel falker come in from borussia dortmund uh to to take over Norwich, you know that was that was a massive call, um, and then to surround him with his whole staff. Now, fair play to to the lads because, um, which is almost a farkism, isn't it? The, fair, well, play. fair play to yeah, the yeah, lads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very content you know, with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was a real kind of determining period where they allowed all of the staff to come in, and what they did is they assimilated into the culture here. But they then made everyone here assimilate to their culture of how they do things. Yes. So, so that was really, really well done. But mm. they were always surrounded by somebody who had been experienced from being at Liverpool, from being at Huddersfield, mm. from being also at some, some other clubs lower down. So it ex- experienced the mm. spectrum of, of clubs. So certainly what Stuart's done has been outstanding. Um, recruitment-wise, I mean, there's been some really, really um, clever buys. You Who's know? your favourite? My f- my favorite. I I oh. always have liked seeing young players come through from the club's academy, mm. where they can be fitted in. Come you know, because if you look at someone like Max Aaron, yes, yes. Hoping <laughs> you're going to say I'm, Max. I'm, I, yeah. What? Why? Your favorite? Oh, is yeah, yeah. player of the season for me. Well, you know what? Watching him up close yesterday, you just see a guy who's just unruffled by yeah. the the whole game. He's got. I I don't know him. I've never met him, but he seems to have no pretense about. Mm him being a really really top player even mm. though he's performing like a really really yeah. top player um you know hernandez i spoke to people out in germany who were like really surprised that they had signed hernandez because he like had had seemingly one good season or wow. whatever club he had had and they said really surprised that the hernandez has gone there and then you see him this year and you think right okay you're now starting to see the player coming through but you know they've taken time to get there you know Marco Steberman maybe last year as a left back you know when we came to play he was like you know this get as a left back you know <laughs> he wasn't particularly mobile in a defensive way mm. but now you see him playing in that advanced midfield role and you think mm. well this guy can manipulate a ball and he can see a pass you know like the ball he, he, he's trying little chip balls or mm. through balls and you think that wasn't the left back we yeah. saw last year you know so Certainly people have been given time. I, I remarked to, to Michael Bailey at the start of the season that what was interesting, I think it was, the f- stand corrected, so don't come at me on Twitter if this is wrong. Oh, we will believe it. Oh, okay. <laughs> the first team that Norwich picked this season, it may have only had one player who had started a championship game the year before. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so, I'm with you. Suddenly, you had gone from like having Tim Closer, who a year before was the only player who had played mm. in the championship, 
come a year later, he's the only player who's ever played in the championship 12 months. Yeah, yeah, for Norwich, yeah. So, you know, a major transition to take that amount of players, give them a whole season, and some of them not, you know, yeah. Max hadn't played until this year. Well, yeah, Max made Chapter a debut at Switch. Your game, game you're talking about. Well, yeah, you know, and uh, I was sat beside Ricky Martin at that game, and he was saying, like, this kid is is the real deal yeah. wow so, so fair play to Rick for that's class for seeing that talent and you know and, and being a big part of nurturing that talent you know and certainly not everything uh, you know there's never a point in time where you can say that's where it all changed mm. you know so fair play to Stuart because he's he's certainly taken the baton and run on yeah but there's somebody handed him that baton somebody you know or, or left it there for him that he then has taken it on you know it's the race never stops in football. You're just given the next baton and you do you do your leg and you do the best job that you can. And in terms of Daniel's training regimes and how he's gone about things, I think Cameron Jerome was the first player that came out and said, I just didn't get on with the training regimes. It wasn't for me. I couldn't, I, I, I didn't understand why we were doing two, three sessions a day. Mm -hmm. And now you look at it and the Nationals are going, Norwich have scored so many late goals because we're so intensely fit and we're so you know, trained to really well. How tough would that have been for Daniel coming into a changing room that just simply wasn't used to it? You've probably been through it before. Yeah. And then bringing players in like a Stiefman who are used to that. And and how different are the are the training regimes from Germany compared to here? Because it's a, it's a different culture, I guess. Yeah, I mean, what's happened in this country over the last, I know, 20 years, um, there was certainly an attraction to Spanish style football. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone likes the, the kind of yeah. tiki taka, you know, we're gonna play possession based football. Germany when they got knocked out of the World Cup in the late nineties, early two thousands, totally restarted the whole youth system mm. and rebuilt it and they decided how they were gonna gonna play. But physical side of the game is massive in Germany. Yeah. They still have great store in running yeah. and doing lots of running. And that it doesn't have to be tied up with a game or a small-sided game. It doesn't have to be hidden inside football. Yeah. It can be, or it doesn't have to be. So what they have always done is do a lot of physical preparation. Mm. Now, you hear this two or three sessions a day. You can do two or three sessions in a morning. Right. And they could be two or three sessions in a day because you could have a pre-training activation session. You could have a training session. You could have a gym session. Okay. And that could be three. Yeah. Okay. Or you could do training session some weights and then go out and do some some strides in the afternoon that could be three it doesn't have to be this um idea of players getting beasted three times a day right. you know i was recently talking to the guys at leeds united about what they did uh, this season and you find out that how bielsa's training you know is this it isn't all this super hard run them till they drop you know the players come in at six in the morning and leave at seven at night which know. is what we're told he does well I don't think anyone said that's what he does, but this idea of three sessions a day comes out. Mm. So everyone goes, oh, three sessions a day, he must be just caning them. Mm. You can't. Players yeah. can't cope with that amount of training in well, terms of it all being high intensity, hard work. It's always balanced. But some would say that the players haven't coped. If you look historically at Bielsa's sides, they have tailed off towards the end of the season. Yes. And you look at it this season, and they're starting to tail off. It's a pattern that is historically stayed with him throughout his career. Yeah, and you know, that's that's obviously what everybody looked at at the start of the season. We played them first game, we were hit by, you know, this kind of, everybody was waiting for it. Yeah. 
and we were punched in the face yeah. with as well, as the well. intensity yeah. of Leeds' play. You know, this yeah. this group pressing, this mm. high intensity passing style. It we wasn't just carry, yeah. yeah, it wasn't just how they um, how they defended, but how they attacked. Mm. You know, um, what you see with Norwich is certainly, I think they're they're really strong at the end of the games. I think mm. there's also a little bit of the pattern you used to see with with Paul Lambert, which is they don't give up. Yeah, at the end totally of the game agreed. and and that's not necessarily always down to physical fitness mm. although it's a major part to be able to execute it um, you need to have a mental resolve to keep thinking you can get something at the end of a game yeah. you know how do you beat Millwall in the very last minute of last minute of injury yeah. time it's because you have a belief that you can do mm. it you know and you have a manager who maybe decides you know what I'm going to go for it I'm going to go and try and win a game and and certainly that was always Paul Lambert's style, mm. you know, at any of the clubs, which was he would always make aggressive attacking substitutions yeah. rather than yeah. just sit back and think, I'll have what I have. And Chris, that game particularly sticks out that Dave mentions there, the Millwall game, yeah. in terms of, and we spoke about it, culture, philosophy. I was in Barcelona running around the streets like a madman when we scored that goal. Yeah, you look, got to look at commitment. Yeah. <laughs> Why weren't you Absolutely. in Carroll? <laughs> I mean, absolutely. 27,000 other people. I mean, you're off and no comment. Holiday. I had to bugger off next week as well. It's shocking and but, shocking. But while you were in Barcelona celebrating, yes. there was a Norwich side sticking to their philosophy. They weren't punting it long into the box. They stuck to yep. their guns. They stuck to what they knew. Yep. And 99% of the time this season, that philosophy has paid off. Absolutely, Jack. And what fascinates me, and Dave's very right in his, in his comments with Paul Lambert. Mm. Paul would chuck three, even four up top. And there's been times last season where me and you were hitting our heads against a brick wall going, how has the guy not made a sub? Mm. You know, it's 75 minutes, even 80 minutes, and he's still not made a sub. And us fans see subs as a solution to yes. going winning a game of football, which is correct, I think, for 50 to 60% of the time. However, there is that magic 30, 40%, which Dave's alluded to here, which is actually just pure mentality we will win this game, we will break you down, we'll keep doing our bit, we're not going to change. And there's been countless times this season where we've just passed teams to death. And it just looks so simple. Um, I think, interesting enough, I don't know how you two feel, but for me, still so super stressful to watch as a fan because you're like, oh my God, he's not made a change. Because we're still in this traditional mindset of no subs equals you know, it's not going to change. The game's not going to change. But that's that's what has really been interesting for me and has impressed me the most this season in, in relation to game management is just purely that drive and motivation in the dying minutes mm. to go and win a game of football, but almost with an arrogance, an arrogance of, no, 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 we're not going to, we're not going to stick a big lad up front. We're just going to play our game mm. of football and we're going to pass you to death. And they do it. Where do you sit with that, Dave? Because I sit next to Chris at football, and when oh, we're, yeah. <laughs> I know, and when we haven't bring a flag, <laughs> when, you know, when, when we're drawing one-one and we haven't made a sub after yeah. eighty-five minutes, he is going mental. He is <laughs> going. He's, he's losing his head. Yeah. Where, where's the balance between stubbornness? Mm. And I suppose that happened last season when we were drawing nil-nil at home to Bolton, and, and it was turgid. And where? Do you then go to just belief in knowing what you're doing and doing it right and it will pay off? Because that's a fine balance, isn't it? And luckily this season it's worked because Daniel hasn't made many substitutions and he hasn't made many changes with his starting eleven. Mm -hmm. And where is arrogance and just getting it wrong? And where would, where would you sit? If you were Daniel, well, well, would you be making the subs earlier? 
I, I don't know how he wants to prepare for games right. and what his philosophy has gone into each game. So I don't know what his uh, game plan is as he goes in, what research he's done. Okay, and that, that, I, hope you, I hope you don't know. Yeah, well, you know. you're the enemy. Well, you know, we, we, we know some things, Chris, <laughs> you know. But, um, yeah, certainly, um, I, I think in how he goes about doing his subs, subs are so difficult because you hear fans behind you when you're sat on the bench going, yeah. get him on! Yeah. Because they think that the guy who's on there has like, been terrible. What you got to realise is also there's... there's you pull out your iPad at that point? Yeah. This is, look at the data! This, this, this is why you make a sub. Well, we have, I have done that in the past. Have you? Have you done really? that first game of the season where you see players who are literally practically not trying, you know, and you know that they're so far below the, the levels that they should be. Wow. And, you, and you're, you're, you're literally putting it down to... He's not trying, you know. For wow. Norwich. I can't say him. But no, I'm not uh, saying, but have you seen it for Norwich, where players have gone no, on no. and not tried? Well, it's gone on and not tried. Um, I think Crouchy talked about it great in his, his podcast recently, mm. where he says, you know, the mentality of a sub going on can be yeah. a lot of different things. It can be a show you to the manager, yeah. or it can be, I'm not saving your bacon here. Yeah, interesting, you know? yeah. So, you know, that's always come on, and you're looking behind you, you're looking at your troops that are going to come on to support you, and you're hoping that they're going to do it. But if you you know that one of them's really really uh, pissed off with you because of the selection, mm. do you think he's going to go on and really change the game yeah, for you? Yeah, so true. You as know, well. and you know, I, I've seen fans in the past at Carroll Road who want a crowd favourite on the pitch. Yeah. But ninety five percent of the time, we see them at training and go, "We're not putting this guy on the pitch." Right. You know, he's he's just you know he doesn't work hard enough mm. in training. Interesting. You know, we've got him. You know, and and then the crowd can't understand why you don't want to put on the guy who mm. is there. There's just favorite. so much more than that face value. You know, he's a top boy, as I say with Gary Doherty, for example. But, but do you, do you kind of get do you get that from fans? Because obviously they don't see what you're seeing. They don't see the stats. Is there a sympathy with fans because they just they just love the club and they love the player that might be on the bench. They just want to see them. But you know something that they don't. Yeah, and, and it, it's tough, isn't it? Because one hundred percent, you know, and you especially when <clears throat> you make a sub for all the right intentions, yeah. you know. So we see a player who we think, right, he's probably flagging. He's been under the weather. He's been ill. He's p had a knock in training. Mm. You know, we're going to put him on for sixty minutes. Get that out of him. Then we're going to make a sub. He's had a decent game. We want to sub him, and the fans go, "What are you doing? Why are you mm. subbing him?" Mm. And it's actually. None of the reasons that they need to know, yeah. or possibly would like to know, is the reasons that we have to sub the player. Interesting. So it, it, there's so many things that I think fans would be, if they came to a training ground and spent a week with us yeah. and saw the preparation that goes into getting a team to three o'clock and then pushing them out to yeah. see and saying, go on then, yeah. you know, <laughs> row the boat and get it, get it to like the that. destination. And then you see, you know, um, you know there's just, social psychological studies in sport to show that you know when you go into a group the bigger the group is the more people take effort away from the group okay. now the best teams don't lose effort there's no leakage of yeah. energy but the worse a team gets the more energy leaks you're yeah. not you're not trying hard enough so i'm not gonna right. he looks over and sees us uh, two not trying and the things. poison begins yeah, yeah you know so you have this idea of a called social loafing and um, and i've seen that i've seen players literally just go 
So how do you make sure that doesn't happen then? Because obviously Norwich have got that's it right where, this season. That's where your culture comes in. You know, the, yeah. they they will stick, <clears throat> they will stick to the guns right yeah. to the end of a game. I mean, that's what they've done with with Mickey McGovern, haven't they? They've given Mickey McGovern a new contract, probably mainly on the basis of that. He's a good egg to have around the camp. He's a, by the way, he's, he's, he's the a, Paul he's Crichton of that we had. You know, Crichton was top lad around the training ground. Paulie, top player. Oh, oh, I mean, you talk about Gary Doherty being a good lad. Crichton was yeah. another level of good yeah. lad. You know, he was the heart and soul of the place. I love he that. Was, he was the guy who got fined. I think he got a fine like 100 quid, wasn't happy with it, brought it to appeal, and every Friday morning we had a kangaroo court, so he was like really annoyed with it. It went to the judge, the judge found against him, fine gets doubled, 200 quid. Christ comes in the following week with 200 pounds of one P yeah. and chucks it onto the middle of the yeah, uh, yeah. And he's not dressing room. There you go, yeah. No, he doesn't care, you know, you know. He was the same guy hiding the manager's, you know, hubcaps, and uh, <laughs> you know, he was also causing devilment, putting boot polish on the yeah. physio's, um, yeah. Physio telephone, you know, so you need people like that around, you know, and then they're huge parts of the dressing yeah. room, you know. I, I keep hearing this word culture and I love it and I do love it. Yeah, you do love but it. But I, I don't I think you really love it, though. I still don't get how you create a culture because it seems so overwhelming to do. Right, well, so give, give me an you, example. Yeah. We've gone into clubs in the last few years. Mm. And you speak to the players and said, "Oh, have you, when was the last time you had a night out as a team?" Right. We haven't had one in three years. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Been out for a meal? Nope. Right. So what's the problem? Well, we try and organise it for this, and then that group don't come, and then we try to organise it there, and this group don't come. Mm. So literally, players who don't spend any social time together. Okay. You know, so if they're not willing to spend a little bit of social time together, what's the chances on a back Saturday? On the pitch. Yeah, yeah. Saturday mm. with like five minutes to go, and I need you to get back in. That you're not going to turn around. Now going back to the team, two thousand and three four. My God, they were tight. You know, you only had to see that picture that was on social yeah. media recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With some really some bad dress sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I got cane for my dress sense, but I was always one higher than the ladder <laughs> than phlegm, you know. Poor lad. You know? <laughs> but you know, you had that great culture going back to it, you know, because they stuck together off the pitch. So it's nights out in the boozer, is that what you recommend you day? Well, you know, sometimes they are the best mm, things, you know, the, to kind of drive. For good culture. Well, you know, it can be, you know, it doesn't have to be up front. Of course, back then we didn't have you know, look at me old didn't have camera phones. Mm. Didn't have, you know, I saw him uh, out there. Ah, yeah, sure. Still had your notepad, though. Well, no, that's a new one. Oh, right? is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I got that one like 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but even, so, okay, so you go into a club and. and you put them all on the night out. <laughs> there's fractions in a team. Yeah. Which I'm sure is, is common. How do you go from that to a fantastic culture? Or is it simply a case of. We're scrapping you off. We're no, starting afresh. It, it's it's very very quickly trying to find out why are the fractions, you okay. know, and and who's causing it, and how can we break those down? You know, right. are there individuals who need to leave the club? Yeah, um, is doing something different within training or you know socialising going to help that? Mm. Um, some people thrive on rules. Right. and hate other people like breaking rules okay. Okay. you know so you you find that there are lots of players of different pressure points yeah. you know and mm -hmm. what you got to find is why what's his pressure point that causes him to be upset so some people hate lateness mm. so when they see somebody late that I upsets agree. them 
That's so rude. But other it's people, so disrespectful for your teammates, 100%. But then other people are quite relaxed about yeah. timings. So when they see people getting irate about them being late, they're like, what's your problem? That's you, know, you. You're not late. You were on time. I'm here, you know. So you've always got to blend those things together, you know. I just so, find it so overwhelming hearing all of this stuff and thinking how on earth do you get you start? 25 egos and highly paid players to fight in one direction and that's why I have so much admiration for mm. you guys and the Stuart Webbers of the world who somehow make that work because I genuinely don't know where I'd start listen it, the best thing to do is is you get people on side in the dressing room yeah because they but then self-manage in the dressing room. I know, but so you're saying that, but how how do you do that? Well, look, perfect example was when Mr. Dion Dublin walked into the room. Now, there's a guy who walks in who who doesn't demand respect, mm. but has respect by the fact he is Dion Dublin. Mm. Yeah. He's walked in, and I distinctly remember him, and he'll tell the story. I was in a warm-up one day at Colney, and one of the younger players, uh, who shall remain nameless, was just messing about. And he said, Dave, can I have the group for a minute? And I went, yeah, of course you can, Dion. You know, like, you're Dion Dublin. Why would you be on the group? I'm not going to fight you for the group. Like, you know. So he literally turns around and he just goes, oi, you. We don't accept that here. And he's just joined? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. And he just said, no, we don't oh, accept that Oh, you've just here. made me love Dion so much more. He's my favourite player by a million miles. And that's not only was he the best dressed. And took the best ever penalty I've ever seen. It's gone back to, um, I'll tell you that story in a minute. But he literally said, that, these are the boundaries and we don't cross them. And if you do cross them, and that applied to staff as much as the players. Because staff who were a little bit, you know, younger staff who were yeah. a little bit bolshier thought they were all now. Yeah. He could nail them into places. So well. Dion was almost like the, the player's manager without being the manager yeah manager in the dressing room you know so you know and you, you've seen that you go back to that team um you know Flem and Malky they didn't need yeah the manager come in they were managing the so dressing room true. you know and you go back even earlier than that and you, you saw people like um you know Matt Jackson was in there or Ewan was in there and then we had Russ of recent times yeah exactly you know they self-managed the dressing room they when people stepped out of line they got told mm. But going back to the story of Dion, uh, I remember the, the last manager I worked for at Norwich, um, so we, we had a game in penalty, uh, uh, a game in training, yeah. and it was a penalty at the end to win it. And uh, this manager said to Dion, uh, you used to taking uh, pressure penalties, Dion? And he just looked at him like, you know, kind of slightly disdainful look of pressure and literally Buried it in the top corner, like I mean, stanchioned it. Yeah, yeah. And just turned around and went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the guy was immense, you know. And uh, what one of my great periods in sport ever was working with with Dion in that group because he was just a legend. So he was just such a warrior on the pitch, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, defense, what, you know? attack, goals, leadership, just oh. Oh, so good on Homes Under the Hammer as well. <laughs> so good on Homes Under the Hammer. Yeah, he knows yeah. a property development when he sees one. Well, you know, he's got that eye for detail, you know. He, he, has. he can see a gap, you know. He can, and he can fill that it. gap. <laughs> oh, he can, yeah. He can certainly fill that gap. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. We, uh, Goodness gracious. Let's move on. Yeah. Right. Are, are there any... <laughs> Filling gaps, God. Are there any Dion oh. Dublin type... Gap fillers that you see in in the current Norwich City dressing room, where you go and and oh. you look at it and think, wow, they can 
they can self-manage a dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I, unfortunately, I don't know them well enough. But, you know, but from you, looking on from the outside in, do you see them traits that Dion and, and others carried? They're, they're a real young group, this, though. You, know, the, you, don't, you don't see anybody of a really high profile yeah. you know, who would necessarily mm. walk into a dressing room and say, command respect because of what they've done in mm. the game, really. I suppose Tim Krull has, obviously, he's played yeah, at the top, Tim Krull, top yeah. level. You know, but you've got people... You know, who are now maybe not playing so much, you know, mm. like a closer and that, mm. who, who certainly should be doing that. And they've got other experienced players around the building, but it's, it's, it's been a real period of transition. It's become a lot younger squad, a lot more inexperienced squad. And they've done the talking on the pitch, mm. you know. So whether they're doing the talking in the dressing room or not, I don't know, but they're certainly doing the talking on the pitch. So finally then, Dave, you, you've looked at this Norwich team, you've watched them a lot this season. Yep. Are they going up? No, no, no. Are they winning the league? Okay. Come on. Well, let's take the first point. Are they going up? Yes, I think they're going up. Okay. Um, obviously, I'm not a betting man. Well, actually, I'm a bit of a betting man. But <laughs> Has your money been on them? Uh, no, because we can't bet when we're in football. Of course. But I could now, because yeah. I'm not in football. Yeah. Ooh, um, nice. No, um, yeah, no, I can't, can't see them not finishing top two. You know, they'd have to literally fall off now. Yeah. But then... You know, funny things happen. Mm. Emmy Bundia getting sent off recklessly. You know, it's going to ch- force a change into the team. Teams are built on cohesion and yeah. systems that work together and patterns that work and are t- proven to... What have they won? Like 11 out of 12 games or something like yeah. that. You know, so, yeah. so you just don't want anything that upsets that and that was a needless mm. change. It's something mm. that you didn't need to do. You know, everybody was in their, in their slots the subs knew they were subs. The team knew they were in the team. And the only thing that was going to change that was either an injury, which most of the time you're not going to pick up now unless yeah. somebody kicks you. Yeah. Or a suspension. Mm-hmm. And I hope it's not one of those things you I come back to pinpoint, like I said about Louis Thompson and an injury yeah. earlier in the season being something to catalyst positivity. Yes. I hope this isn't one that ends up being... I think it's a really good point, Dave. And I think the, the thing for me, though, is that and a lot of Norwich fans probably are, are aware of this, we've got some fantastic backup. And actually, I think what it will do, I think it will be a positive catalyst because I, I think that it will almost stop complacency, especially after rolling QPR over. I mean, rolling them over. It's boys versus men. It really was. And I think that almost that Buendia injury, in a weird sort of way, might make the team, the team think, my God, we're missing Hemi. Mm. That's a big loss. We need to work harder, boys. Um, I think it'll keep them on their toes. I think that it'll be they'll obviously have to work differently in training, or, or do they? No, I think at this stage you're just keeping your yeah, training. You just slot someone else in, and that's someone, by the way, Champions League finalist for for Borussia Dortmund, or a resurgent Mario Vrancic that's full of confidence that literally destroyed Leeds United at Ellen Roads. I mean, I, I'm I'm not worried. But I think it'll, it'll really help. He's positive, Jack. He's I think positive. It'll, it'll help the players. Glasses half full. Or always, you? always. Yeah. What do you think? I think we'll be okay. Good. I think we'll be okay. I, I just think, as you say, there, we, we faced <clears> different <throat> challenges this season. Whether that be, uh, I don't know, a, a, a team with Pookie not in the squad or an injury. Look, for, look at Grant Hanley, for example. He got injured. We thought the the end of the world was yeah. here. Yeah, we did. And a Ben Godfrey comes in. I just think <laughs> yeah. there's enough players to slot in. You know. To, to, to fill the gap as we as we as we fill as gap. mentioned to um, fill that gap <laughs> a final point you came down to Carrow Road with Stoke and beat us yep 
Did you expect at that point to see a Norwich City squad seven points clear at the top with six games to go? Or no. did you see a different team? No. We had, we had a lot of respect for the team from the fact of how they played in the five games before and won all five yes. of them. Yeah. So you, you knew that they were a good team. Mm. We knew that they had a lot of possession mm. and, and how they liked to play with it. You know, we'd watched them come back like Bielsa watched how they had honed their kind of yeah. system the year before and knew that they'd do the same again. Yeah. What they're doing different though was just at a higher tempo. Yeah. Um, and a couple of new players had come in that added a little bit more guile or energy mm. to the team. They were less about almost being quite central with, with James Madison mm. and most things going through them and being quite happy to go a bit more around the sides. Um, but that kind of suited us at mm. Stoke because we were quite happy with you going down the sides and um, when you came central you know we just kept shifting you across yeah. the pitch you know people like Joe Allen mm. Peter Tabo you know quite quite comfortable yeah. with things in front of them like that no problem so know. how how did you set up and go right lads this is how you beat Norwich today I don't want to well, other managers <laughs> listening to this but <laughs> well, what we, were the weaknesses we, well it wasn't necessarily the weaknesses you're always going to manage a game in a game you know, you can, okay. you can start a game with a game plan, <coughs> and that's generally your, your scaffold around how you're going to build a game. But then you have to respect the game for itself that if it's not working, you're going to have to change. Mm. You know, and very quickly we found out like our attacking that day was just like non-existence. Mm. So it became, of well, how are we going to, to win games now? As a group of staff, we've had a lot of success going to clubs and being able to counter-attack. Yeah. You know, I'm waiting for those few opportunities where we can attack and we can attack with pace. So as a as a management team, we were quite comfortable that, okay, they're going to have a lot of the ball. Mm. We'll set up the counter. Right. You know, so we then had to change our, our pattern. We weren't playing well on the day and then just hope that we could exploit one of those situations. Now, when you've got players of the ilk of Tom Ince, mm. you know, who's able to cross a ball with pace and put it into a dangerous area for a defender to potentially make a mistake... Yeah. Yeah, that's part of the game, you know. You know, you, as a defender, you've got to keep the ball out of your own net. Um, and unfortunately, that day for Tim, you know, he, he didn't. Yeah. It just feels like when teams have maybe adopted that thought process and come to Carrow Road, they've sat back and waited, and we've just destroyed them with our attacking prowess. And then you go one down, and then you have to chase the game, and then we open them up again. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I suppose, you, as you mentioned there, though, players with the quality of Tom, it's not many teams have that. And it's just hopefully making sure that that one chance comes and take it. Yeah, going back to what makes a good team, you can have a great team of individual mm. stars. Um, and if you get them all working perfectly in unison, yeah, they're hard to beat. You know, certainly Wolves last year yeah. were a team of stars yep. who played really, yeah. really well. Or you can do what Norwich have done, which is take a lot of lesser lights and mm. make them into a team. Yeah. You know, so the team is certainly greater than the sum of the parts this mm. year. What Wolves have probably shown is they were a team of superstars that they were even bigger than that. Yeah. You know, um, some of the players like Neves, you know, and mm. some of the, you know, unfortunately got to see his wonder strikes too many times last yeah. year, <laughs> you know, including at Molyneux. Um, they can destroy you on their own. Yeah. And there's only a few teams over the years that you see can destroy you with one player, uh, although they'd quite a lot of one players that could do that um, Norwich this year yes certainly Pookie but you know you. I think we got you at a good time in yeah. terms of he looked tired that mm. day uh, he didn't really have an awful lot of spark so that, that was we just picked a good day for it good I think there's a part two to be had here 
Well, we haven't even got to the story. I know we haven't. Really. <laughs> I know we haven't. Making Adrian Forbes run around the pitch. We'll get. I think we'll get. Adrian Coop getting try. You know, getting caught under the the bench press. <laughs> Blimey, that sounds yeah. painful. Players Part two coming soon. It's got. It's got to be done. Dave, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thanks so much for coming. Cheers really, really Dave. appreciate Thanks it. Cheers, mate. Um, thanks very much for watching. Please do feel free to leave us reviews on iTunes, um, preferably five star. And uh, anything you want to plug? Finally, a few thirty seconds to plug something. Thirty seconds to plug something. Actively. I'm uh, sorry. Well, well, if I'm not back in football by uh, July, I'll probably be running some fitness camps for those who do want to get fit for next season. So I might oh. see you at a training ground near you. I might have a client here. I Someone that fit. makes Dean Ashton sweat big time. Now that's it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Really, Big Dean sweated big time. There you go. Big D. There you go. <laughs> Another Big D. <laughs> <laughs> see you later, guys. Thank you.